بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سبحان الله العلي العظيم والحمد لله رب العالمين الله أكبر الله أكبر على العالمين الحمد لله على نعمه وعلى فضله الله أكبر على كل من طغى وتجبر وسبحان الله وسبحان الله الذي أبدع هذا الكون وأحسن للمخلوقات أجمعين ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الأمين المرسل رحمة للعالمين start in the name of Allah, the grantor of all blessings, the first and the last, the one and only, Allah who has blessed us with the revelation that remains as a living prophet among us. The revelation that speaks to us through the ages, ever present among us. And in exceptional days like this the revelation should be should be all the more present among us speaking to us we've already talked about how every calamity is a challenge and is an opportunity. And among the opportunities that what is in the modern age a rather unusual situation, and that is the pandemic. The opportunity that it challenges us with is to return to Allah, to return to ourselves and to find the place of God within ourselves, 
God is ever present. God is ever present. God is always there. Whether we choose to acknowledge or recognize, whether we choose to listen fully or to not listen, whether we choose to see with our hearts or to shut our hearts, God is always present, is always there. But we human beings, unlike so much of God's creation that doesn't have a choice, as Allah reminds us that every living thing has its tasbih, has its own form of supplication. They are created with this supplication, this recognition of the divine within them. But we human beings can either choose to listen to the divine or shut ourselves off and distract ourselves in one way or another. We've already spoken about how in exceptional circumstance Allah reminds us repeatedly that Allah will send ba'sa and hardship and harm لَعَلَّكُمْ تَرْجِعُونَ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَضَرَّعُونَ So perhaps that you will return to Allah, that you will, you will pay attention to the ever-present among you, the one and only, the owner of this universe, the one who actually has the right of homestead. We are guests. We exist as guests in a universe that already has an owner. It is not there for us to dominate because dominion already belongs to the divine. We, it is not there for us to fight over sovereignty because sovereignty already belongs to the divine. We are but guests in this entire universe. But we can choose to be ethical guests, moral guests, recognizing our status and discharging the obligations that a guest owes. Or we can choose to ignore these rights and to ignore or otherwise violate the obligations and the duties that we owe to the host 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I will first recite the verses in Arabic, then I'll, I'll translate as I go on. كَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا فِيكُمْ رَسُولًا كَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا فِيكُمْ رَسُولًا مِنْكُمْ يَتْلُوْ عَلَيْكُمْ آيَاتِنَا وَيُزَكِّيكُمْ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمْ كِتَابٍ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمْ كِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمْ مَا لَمْ تَكُونُوا تَعْلَمُونَ فَاذْكُرُونِ يَذْكُرْكُمْ وَاشْكُرُوا لِي وَلَا تَكْفُرُونَ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ اسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الصَّابِرِينَ وَلَا تَقُولُنَّ لِلْ ولا تقولن ولا تقولن لمن ولا تقولوا لمن يقتل في سبيل الله أمواتا بل أحياء ولكن لا تشعرون ولنبلوكم بشيء من الخوف والجوع ونقص من الأموال والأنفس والثمرات وبشر الصابرين الذين إذا أصابتهم مصيبة قالوا إن لله وإن إليه راجعون the verses that I just recited are from Surah Al-Baqarah, starting with verse 151. Allah reminds us that of our core belief as Muslims and a core dynamic by which we deal with every challenge and every hardship in our, in our existence. Allah reminds us by saying, as we have sent a messenger to you, the messenger, Prophet Muhammad Reciting the revelation, bringing the revelation into your lives, purifying you, cleansing you, and teaching you wisdom, deep, non-superficial knowledge, the knowledge of ethics, as we will talk about in a second. And teaching you what you would otherwise not know. This can also be understood as teaching you what otherwise you are prone to ignore. What otherwise you could be oblivious to. فَذْكُرُونِ 
in Islam to love is not to take for granted. To love is not to take for granted. In Islam, in the same way, we are not expected to take God for granted. We do not take each other for granted. The very crucial nature of justice is that a relationship of reciprocity, the idea that you could say, I love God and God loves me, but then you take God for granted is an unjust relationship. It is an unethical relationship because it is marred with injustice. Exactly in the same way that you cannot say, I love a human being, but then take that human being for granted and fail to discharge the obligations and the duties that you owe this to human being. Because doing so would be unjust. And injustice is inconsistent with love and injustice is inconsistent with mercy. That is why Allah tells us, فَاسْكُرُونِ أَذْكُرْكُمْ Be mindful of me, and I will be mindful of you. Reciprocity. If you remember me, I will remember you. In modernity, human beings have become so egocentric, so selfish and self-centered to the extent that they created a God that loves them regardless of what they do and how they do it. They invented a God who loves them unconditionally and is willing to die for them, according to this mythology, that God even dies out of an act of devotion requiring nothing that follows from this love other than mere belief and recognition. Unethical love is not a beautiful thing. Unethical love is an ugly thing. It is unethical. An unethical love doesn't know the relationship of reciprocity. And that is why Allah reminds us, remember me so I, in turn, will remember you. Be grateful. In other words, be ethical in your relationship 
with your God because if you are ethical in your relationship with God, you will be ethical in your relationship amongst yourself. Then Allah reminds us with the theme that the Quran is building to. As you confront hardship, as you confront the challenges of life that might tempt you to doubt your relationship with Allah, your methodology for endurance, your steadfast, the mean, the, the, the main way for you to endure is to learn the virtues of prayer and patience and perseverance. Because Allah, God subhanahu wa ta'ala, is indeed with, in support of, constantly persevering with those that, that realize the virtue of patience and endurance and persevere with patience and endurance. And don't say, when the Quran says, and don't say, meaning, surely believe, or in fact you should believe, or in fact you should be mindful of, Be mindful of the fact that those who die in Allah's cause, those who die in a relationship of jihad with Allah, those who are persevering with Allah, Allah already told us that Allah is with, is with the sabirin, with the, those who persevere. Don't think that they're dead, but surely indeed they are alive with Allah, but you just don't exist in that plane, in that dimension. And so you cannot see them and you cannot be aware of them. And then certainly Allah reminds us, we will test you, we will send to you fear, hunger, and loss of wealth. We will test you with fear and hunger and loss of wealth. But good tidings, 
the good news, those who are truly blessed are those who endure and persevere. And then the ultimate conclusion that should become like a constitutional principle for our existence or one of the main constitutional principles for our existence الذين إذا أصابتهم مصيبة قالوا إن لله وإن إليه راجعون. Those who are when afflicted by hardship, when afflicted by hardship, they say we belong and truly to God we will return. Notice here, first, we started out with Allah reminding us of the role of prophecy. The living prophet is the Quran. The prophet who lived and died is Muhammad and of course the prior prophet. And the role of these prophets is to teach us virtue and ethics, wisdom. Now, the heart and the crux of this wisdom is to be mindful of and remember that the divine is in our in the core of our existence that God is always there whether you choose to remember that or to be mindful of that that's something else but God is always there if you wish to recognize the role of the divine in your existence that your consciousness is not yours, as the Quran tells those who doubt that consciousness really belongs to God, the Quran challenges them more than once and say, well, if you're really honest about and sincere about what you say you believe, then pray for death, hope for death. If you really want to take the the gamble, and you really don't believe, then ask, beg to be, to die, and meet your fate. The path to God is prayer and endurance and persistence with prayer so that you anchor in yourself sabr, perseverance, and endurance so that when hardship comes, you don't despair and you don't become convinced that God hates you or that God doesn't care about you. 
or that your life is pointless, or that you are miserable, or that there, nothing better will ever come. Now, the verses do not think those who died in the path of God was obviously revealed on the occasion of the battles after the Hijra, after the Prophet migrated from Mecca to Medina. And it's talking about martyrs, that those who died in battle are not truly dead, that they're alive with God. However, in my opinion, there is no reason to limit the mercy of God because as the verses themselves make clear, those who are persevering in the path of God and this perseverance leads to them losing their lives, they in fact have a special status. And we know from what the Prophet taught that there are many different forms of shahada and very many different um, status within shahada, martyrhood. Those who die in battle or those who die during a pandemic, they have different levels of shahada. The, the crux of the matter is whether you do it in the same way you could die in battle and go not, not be a martyr at all if you are fighting for the wrong reasons or if you are fighting unethically. So for instance, you're attacking civilians or destroying... It is all in why you're doing it and how you're doing it. And I will come back to this and tie it in further because it, it's worth further anchoring. And that God, in fact, will send hardship during your lifetime on this earth. And again, the biggest challenge and the crux of the matter is how you confront this hardship. Are you among those who persevere and endure or among those who despair and fall apart? Now, let's pause here for a second and expand upon the notion of those who persevere and endure. When we say persevere and endure, asabirin, what does that really mean? Is it that every time something bad happens to you, you say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, or to God verily, to God we will return? I'll tell you, there are a lot of horrible, miserable human beings, awful human beings, that do every immoral thing. Every time something bad happens to them, the first thing they do is say, To God we will return. There are a lot of human beings who are not bad, but are cowardly. 
that statement inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un has become a form of evading responsibility and moral cowardliness so they will sit apathetically passively watch all types of injustice happen and every time something bad happens the first thing they do is mutter inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un to god we will return Even more, there are people who use this statement basically to be passive observers in life. So they will not help the weak. They will not support the oppressed. They will not do anything that puts them at risk. but will use the idea of to god we will return in allah wa inna ilayhi raji'un as an as a some type of excuse to evade responsibility inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un statement that if properly understood and if properly believed when you see it it could revolutionize your existence if you truly believe that you will return to allah and you remind yourself every time there is a challenge a hardship calamity then it should serve to underscore that during hardship you are never absolved of moral responsibility and ethical accountability again what hardship does the first thing it does is to challenge us with the illusion of exceptionalism and excuse what hardship does you let's say you wake up you go through your day something happens during that day that angers you something happens that annoys you something happens that disappoints you what is the first reaction the first reaction is So it's an exception happened so maybe i can now evade responsibility so if something happens that angers you the first response from shaitan the first reaction is that maybe now it's okay to be rude maybe now it's okay to spew out a bunch of swear words maybe now it's okay for me to snap at loved ones maybe now it's okay to shirk off this responsibility or that responsibility at a higher level maybe now is not the time for ethical duties and moral obligations
That's what hardship does. Look at the nature of ethics and morality, and in fact, Sharia. When everything is going well, it is very easy to say that we have an ethical order, immoral order, whatever it is. When does it really matter? When does it really matter? It matters when there is hardship and difficulty, not when everything is going smoothly. So when there is war, at, at an extreme level, you find people who might have lived as good Muslims suddenly think, oh, it's okay to kill a fellow Muslim. Oh, it's okay to kill a civilian. Oh, it's okay to kill children. It's okay to, like those who bomb civilians in Syria or those who bomb civilians in Yemen or those who bomb civilians in Libya. Otherwise, they could be people who pray and fast. But when war happened, the exception, they started thinking, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe, maybe there is an exception. The soldier who lives otherwise, could person that prays five times a day and fasts Ramadan, but in an instant, when ordered by his commander, could beat someone to a pulp, relies on the logic of exception, not the rule. Now, how does this relate to the pandemic which we are going through? The most important thing about this pandemic is that, in fact, it presents us with and challenges us with circumstances that expose our inequities, that challenges our own inequities, that challenges us to think about the role of the divine within. And as importantly, as importantly, tests our mettle when it comes to our ethical order and ethical system. Let me explain just a bit more. Right now, with the pandemic, we start confronting for the first time the idea of distribution of resources. There was a story recently about senior citizens who were found dead alone in their beds in Spain. What happened to these citizens is that their caretakers, afraid of the corona infection, abandoned them. And because these senior citizens did not have family that cared about them, they expired in their beds. They suffered till death. There was another story that came out recently that Alabama, Oregon, Arizona, and I think Washington 
were considering guidelines during the pandemic that people who suffer from severe dementia, people who suffer from Down syndrome, people who suffer from uh, um, um, other mental, uh, other uh, medical conditions that challenge their productivity, according to these guidelines, are not good candidates for ventilation. Meaning what? Because of the scarcity of resources, because of the scarcity of resources, we will save the younger person and not the older person. We will save the person who, can, who is productive, a financially productive economic entity, and not the person who is less productive. We will save members of society that can pay back rather than members of society that need to be taken care of. What happened here is a challenge. The challenge presented it to us was nuts fil amwal wal anfus, shortages in or, or challenges to our wealth and our normal system of existence. Because of that challenge, we were presented with an ethical choice. And if we choose to take care of the young and over the, the older, the fully healthy over the sick. In fact, we fail the moral challenge and we fail the ethical challenge and that is a lack of sabr. Sabr doesn't mean that you just say, you keep muttering to yourself, May Allah just end the hardship. It doesn't mean that I continue just doing my prayer as I wait for Allah to solve it. True sabr is to persevere with the ethical choice, to persevere in a moral and ethical fashion when confronted with hardship. I know that this is not the way modern Muslims think. But when you say, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi to Allah we will return. You are reminding yourself that this universe has a sovereign. And that sovereign has a moral and ethical order in place. And in that moral and ethical order, the mentally challenged person is equal to the fully conscious and accountable person. A person who is physically handicapped is equal to a person who is not physically handicapped. A person who is unproductive economically in society has the same rights to life as a person who is fully productive in society. In fact, in the ethical order, in Islam, seniors have rights that exceed the rights of those who are young. We are supposed to honor those who are older, to honor them, so that we, set, we, we honor the principle in existence 
that the young must honor the old so that when the young become old, they are guaranteed that they will be honored and respected. The ethical order, when you persevere with ethics, that is the nature of sabr. When you say to God, we will return, you are affirming, you are affirming the principle that you don't live life willy-nilly. You don't just do whatever comes to your mind or whatever you feel like. You exist but with principles. And sometimes these principles will require that you not just sacrifice efficiency, but indeed that you could sacrifice your own life if need be. That's what dying in God's cause means. That's what yuqdal fi sabilillah means. You persevere with ethical choices to the point that you might have to sacrifice your own life. You can't use your own life as an excuse to fail in your moral obligations. Sometimes, let me just be very concrete, sometimes to take care of, to honor your parents, to take care of your parents, might mean putting your life in danger. If my mother was still alive, and my mother had the corona infection or any other lethal disease. When I was a child and I had typhoid, because when I was a child, I got typhoid, and I also at one point, when I was older, got chicken pox. Did my mother abandon me? Did my mother say, well, I'm going to put the food uh, the, you know, I'm going to slip it into the room and I'm not going to interact with you? As a child, would I have understood if my mother would have said, you have typhoid, I'm not going to touch you, I'm not going to enter the room? Of course not. My mother put her life at risk, endangered her life to take care of me. Well, if my mother if she was alive and she had a deadly disease, my ethical obligation might be to put my life at risk to take care of her. That's what sabirin means. You don't just live taking care of number one. You take care of your duties and moral obligation. The idea that you leave your parents to die in isolation, lonely, scared, or that you fail to help your parents because of scarcity of resources, is failing in the challenge of shortages in resources. To have true sabr is to persevere in upholding 
the ethical and moral principles of a Rabbaniya, of a godly existence. Because always remember, God is ever-present. We don't kick God out and invite God in. God is always present. We simply choose to either be cognizant of the fact of God's presence or ignore the fact that God is present. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله سبحان الله والله أكبر الله العلي العظيم ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الأمين When we are confronted with hardship like this, it is easy to use the excuse of safety to become selfish. To become selfish. To fear to take care of your neighbor or to take care of your family. To violate the rights that you owe your parents at a family level. But at a social level and a societal level, it is a huge moral failure to fail to take care of our senior citizens or to take care of, to fail to take care of those who are handicapped in one form or another. In fact, In fact, it is immoral failure to live in a country or in a society that spends billions of dollars on military hardware and the ability to conquer and invade, but then fail to build enough medical supplies to save the lives of people. That is not a political issue or a policy choice. That's a moral failure. That is not consistent with to God we will return. Because when you do return, God will ask you, what did you do about the fact that a thousand people died in that day because there were no ventilators or whatever other medical supplies are necessary? To have God in our, to remember that God's presence in our lives is to know that every issue is an ethical and moral issue. And therefore, an issue of godliness versus the lack of godliness. In non-Muslim societies, I've read stories coming out of Spain, coming out of Britain, coming out of the US, about our failures towards senior citizens that have horrified me. 
And that made me think truly because Allah, none of this pleases Allah. When Allah teaches us from the Ten Commandments, from actually from the, from the time of Adam to the time of Noah to Ibrahim to Noah to Adam to all the prophets to honor those who are older than us. And then when we are met with challenges, we fail them and allow them to suffer and die. Similarly, Allah presents you with hardship. Is this hardship going to make you a better person with your family or a worse person? I've seen stories. No, I just heard a friend that a friend had someone spit on her. I've read stories in Britain where people infected with corona would spit on senior citizens because they they think that senior citizens are taking up resources, needlessly taking up resources. I saw videos in China where people infected with corona put their saliva over the buttons in an elevator in hope of infecting of others. I've read stories about people spitting on cops or military hoping to infect them. Any of this conduct consistent with to God we will return. But take the other side so that we are honest and truthful. In a lot of Muslim countries when confronted with shortages they have a different logic. Resources go to the elite first, to the rich first, before anyone else. Scarce resources in a country like Egypt goes to the military, to take care of military, and let the civilians die. Tons of civilians are dying from corona, but if you're military, you get first class care. Same thing in Syria. In other countries, it is only the wealthiest class in society that gets adequate care and the poor are ignored. The Prophet ﷺ, there are a number of hadiths with the same basic message, the Prophet ﷺ saying, "Ibghuni du'afaikum, inna turzakun wa tunsarun bi du'afaikum." Give me, give me, meaning, honor me with, or put ahead, put forward, the weakest among you in society. Because, in fact, 
the blessings that you attain from Allah in society, it is not because of those who are wealthy and powerful, but because of those who are weak. In other words, when Allah gives a society blessings, Allah does so for the weak, not for the powerful and rich. In another hadith reported in many, again, various variations, if Allah gives you victory or Allah blesses you with wealth, Allah does so not for the powerful and rich, but for the sake of the weakest among you. What does that say? That says that when we are confronted with a pandemic like Corona, the yardstick for sabr, or sabirun, for those who are truly, truly persevere, the yardstick for those who truly recognize that they will return to Allah, in is whether they take care of the weakest element in society or not. If the ventilators go to the richest, or the military class, or a particular race, or a particular tribe, then in fact you have failed in the test. And you are not, neither among the Sabirun, nor among those who truly recognize that everything is from Allah and to Allah. Allah gives victory, success, is not for the sake of the wealthy and powerful, it is for the sake of the poor and disempowered. If any society wants to reflect upon the calamities that have befallen it, and wants to reflect upon how to go back to Allah when, when confronted with hardship and disasters, then it should reflect upon the status of the weakest in society, whether they be senior citizens or physically disabled or the impoverished. Allah responds and hears the disempowered and dispossessed and responds to them before responding to anyone who is among the rich and powerful. In conclusion, we Muslims cannot keep simply spewing out every time something bad happens to a Muslim he says to Allah we will return but their entire life doesn't reflect a recognition of what that means 
or the moral commitments and the ethical commitments that one undertakes when they remember that. We do, in fact, have to remember that. And it's something we should all learn to do, that whenever we are confronted with a challenge or hardship, we should, in fact, remember that we will return to Allah. And that all of this, we are simply guests on this existence. But we should not just utter it, but we should fully realize all that follows from it. When I say, to Allah we will return, I am also committing myself to stand by the disempowered, to stand by principle, to support justice, to rebel against oppression and despotism. I am committing myself to a moral ethical existence. Allahumma hdina. Allahumma maslihha lana. Wa'afu anna waghfir lana. Warhamna. Allahumma ansur al-Islam. Wahdi al-Muslimin ya Rabbal Alameen. Allah forgive our sins. Grant us guidance. And the righteous path. And true wisdom. So that we will fully understand the meaning of returning to you. Allah grant us patience and perseverance and bless our past with beauty and light. Ya Rabbal Alameen, inna Allah ya'amru bil'adli wa al-ihsani wa ita'i dhi al-qurba wa na'al-fahshari wa al-munkari wa al-bahri la'allikum la'allakum tadhakkaroon wa akum as-salam.